Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and I am very excited to be back with another edition of of our scheme theme month. I have had an awesome time putting these episodes together. There's not much in the world I love more than talking football. Um, I, I will be transparent with you guys and admit that these episodes are a lot of work and, and they've taken a good bit more time than the average episode, that's to be sure, but it's the fun kind of work. So no worries there at all. Like those guys, I guess, I guess the way I would equate it is those guys that are into cars and enjoy the process of rebuilding old classic cars. It's a lot of work. It consumes a lot of time, but you love the process. I know nothing about cars. I know a little bit about football. So I've really enjoyed these episodes and taking the time to put these together for you guys. And it's also been great hearing the positive feedback on these episodes. And and I really do hope, I really do, I hope they are giving you uh, at least a little bit more insight into both just general football schemes and then, of course, the things that you see us do out on the field on fall Saturdays. And, and the ultimate goal really is just to maximize your enjoyment of college football. That's all I'm trying to do here with these episodes. I, I'm of the opinion that the more you understand a sport or really anything in life, the more you understand it, the more you enjoy it. Like, For example, I don't enjoy soccer because I don't really understand it. I've actually been in Mexico before during the World Cup and obviously elsewhere around the world outside the United States, it's a massive deal. The World Cup's as big as it gets in most of these other countries. And so I was in a foreign country in Mexico where soccer is huge during the World Cup and everyone was freaking out about it. Everyone was excited about it. There was a buzz in the air, but I didn't get any enjoyment out of it. I tried to watch it. I really tried to get into it, but I should understand what I was watching. So it was really hard for me to appreciate that. Conversely, I'll give another example on the other side here. I've mentioned this before, but my love for the sport of tennis has grown tremendously over the last year or so. I've always liked tennis, but it's grown so much over the past year because I understand it more. I've started to actually go out there and play myself and take lessons and go to clinics and play matches and all those kind of things. So now I understand it on a deeper level. Therefore, I've enjoyed watching tennis more and more. So, I mean, think about some of your significant others. Like, they might not enjoy football all that much, or maybe they didn't early in, in, in your marriage or early in your relationship because they didn't understand it. But the more you watch, the more you're exposed to it, the more you start to understand, the more you begin to enjoy it. But look, I know you guys know your stuff. You guys are, are hardcore football fans. You know what's going on with this sport. But again, like no matter what your level of knowledge is, as it regards football, no matter what your football IQ is, there's always more to learn. The more you understand it, the more I believe you ultimately enjoy it. And that's what I'm going for here. And, and if you're like me, you just want to learn more. You're curious, right? Like you like people like learning about things that they enjoy. And that's football for me. Football is it's just awesome. And, and it's such a fascinating and complex sport. There are so many layers to everything we see out there on Saturdays, but it can be tough to find that in-depth X no schematic stuff out there. So I'm just trying to make all of that maybe a little bit more accessible for you guys. So I hope it's something you guys have enjoyed over the past couple of weeks and into the next couple of weeks as well. But anyway, let's talk some ball. And today we're going to address something that absolutely drives me crazy. It shouldn't. I don't know why I let it drive me crazy. I don't know why I care. But I don't know about you guys, but this popular narrative, and I've mentioned this before, this is nothing new if you listen to the show for a while, you know this bothers me. This narrative that 
Kirby Smart is a great recruiter, but an average coach. That makes me feel like Brooks Kepka feels about Bryson DeChambeau. If, if you saw that hilarious clip, which I'm sure most of you did from the PGA Championship over the weekend, you saw Kepka's face when he saw DeChambeau when he was doing that interview. The eye rolling, the cursing under his breath. That's me when I hear all of these, and I'm just going to say it. I'm going to call it how I see it here. All these ignorant national talking heads who barely have even the most basic understanding of the sport talk about Kirby Smart's coaching ability. I know it shouldn't, but it really just drives me nuts. I mean, they all admit, they have to admit this, that Kirby's a great recruiter. You can't not see that. And they can't deny the on-field success, that they can't get around that. It's like they have to play mental gymnastics to create this argument, this narrative that Kirby Smart isn't a good coach. They know he recruits really well, which, oh, by the way, is a huge part of coaching at the college level. They know that we've been extraordinarily successful on the field, 28-5 and in SEC play over the last four years. That's better than anyone not named Nick Saban in Alabama. So they can't get around that. But what they do is they chalk all of that success up to that recruiting prowess that Kirby Smart has. And then they focus far more on the fact that, oh yeah, well, Georgia hasn't beaten Alabama. They haven't broken through and won a national title. I mean, how many times have you heard, a not even just rival fan bases, but just, I'm, I'm serious, national talking heads out there. How many times have you heard them talk about 1980 when they're talking about Georgia football and why Kirby Smart has pressure on him right now? The idea is like, well, if Kirby was a better actual coach, Georgia would have won more. Yeah, they've won a ton of games. They've been really good the regular season, but they can't win the big one, despite the fact that we've won an SEC title, despite the fact that we've won a Rose Bowl, despite the fact that we've played a national championship game. They don't, that's not convenient to their argument. But to them, if Kirby was a better actual on-field coach, then we would have won much more. He's just not a schematic genius like Dan Mullen or Lincoln Riley or Ryan Day or heck, even Nick Saban. Because for how long did we hear that like when Kirby was at Alabama under Saban, how often did we hear that, yeah, you know, it wasn't Kirby's defense, it was Nick Saban's defense. He was just a Saban puppet. So Kirby just, for whatever reason, for the reason that I, I think the reasons that I've laid out here, Kirby does not get the kind of respect as a coach that I think he deserves, and I think is both comical and maddening at the same time. It just, like, again, it probably shouldn't bother me. I shouldn't let things like this bother me. Normally, I don't. It's weird, but this just, it, it gets under my skin because the people who create these narratives and criticize them for not being a good coach, they are people who have no idea what they're talking about. Like, if they actually understood the game of football, then I could respect it. But these people just have such a basic surface level understanding of the game that I just can't respect where they're coming from because they're just throwing something out there to get clicks and it drives me crazy. I mean, I get it. I do. I get it. The sports media is naturally predisposed to be critical. That's what they do because that creates controversy and controversy generates clicks and clicks give them money, all that, right? We understand that. The formula is obvious. We get that. And that's why I hate that it bothers me. I understand that and I'm giving them what they want. It, but, you know, against my better judgment, I still let it bother me. So with all that in mind today, I want to start telling the other side of the story and give Kirby Smart some of the respect he deserves as an X's and O's coach by exploring the, just a few of the, what I would classify as extremely successful defense adjustments that he has made over the last, I don't know, however many years to combat the offense evolution that we've really been watching transpire before our eyes over the last decade or so. But instead of throwing all of these different adjustments into one episode and just completely drowning you guys in football scheme, I decided to give you, I think what we're going to do here is we're, I'm going to give you several smaller doses and make this kind of a series within a series, right? So this is our scheme theme month series, but I'm going to run like a Kirby Smart defensive adjustment series within our scheme theme series, right? So wrap your head around that, right? And, and like, again, the feedback on these episodes has been overwhelmingly positive and I am so grateful for that. I'm really glad you guys are enjoying it. But I've also heard from some of you that the first two episodes were, especially that first one, were a lot to digest in one sitting. And I think you're right. I, I can totally handle some constructive feedback and I agree with you guys. So to avoid the paralysis by analysis, that comes with just a deluge of info thrown at you all at once. I'm going to just kind of break these into several shorter episodes, which means that we're going to have more content for you guys over the next couple of weeks. 
more than our normal two episodes a week during the offseason. I know next week is Memorial Day, so we'll see if we have more than two next week. Maybe I might throw one out there. Usually people don't listen all that much on holidays. So maybe it's the week after where you have multiple you'll have like three or four episodes or whatever. But we'll give you guys a bunch of content, breaking this into smaller segments. I think that would make it more easily digestible for you. But let's go ahead and get to the good stuff today. And uh, let's start here. Admittedly, there have been games. So here I'm trying to give Kirby Smart his respect, right? The respect that I think he deserves. And look, I, I know that like I'm not going to convince people and other fan bases to respect Kirby Smart as an actual like, X and O schematic coach. I'm not going to do that. That's fine. They're not going to listen to me. But I, at least in our own fan base, I think there needs to be more of a general appreciation for Kirby Smart as like an X's and O's guy, a guy that actually knows defensive football. But saying that, like announcing to you that I'm trying to give him some more respect, put some more respect on that name, I also had to admit there have been games clearly over the years where Kirby's defenses, yeah, they've gotten torched. Not often. It hasn't happened very often at all, and usually only in the biggest games, but but it's happened, and that's the thing. It's happened in the big moments, right? So when it happens in the playoffs or one of the big New Year's Six Bowl games, those things kind of get stuck in people's consciousness. That, that kind of gets stuck in that national national football consciousness more so than it was just some random, you know, fall Saturday in November or whatever. But whether it was Oklahoma in the 2014 Sugar Bowl where the Sooners put up 45 or Ohio State in the 2015 Sugar Bowl or even Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl, especially that first half, and we all remember that, there have been a, at least a couple high-profile games in the past, the past decade or so, where Kirby's defenses honestly have gotten worked in the midst of this offensive evolution with spread offenses, tempo, RPOs, the proliferation of dual threat quarterbacks, all of those things have taken over college football. And Kirby hasn't been perfect. His defenses haven't been perfect. They've been, I mean, consistently better than any defense out there, you know, take it year in and year out over the the last decade or so. But there have been blips on the radar where you've seen offenses put up big numbers against Kirby Smart defenses. Again, a lot of times it's happened in those big moments, those high-profile games where people are paying attention. Those games happened. But you know what else happened? Kirby adjusted. Say what you want about this man, but that competitive fire burns red hot in his belly. The belly that's getting bigger and bigger by the year, right? Uh, And he had enough intelligence and enough humility to know that he had to change after those games, especially after, you know, you, you have the Sugar Bowl against Oklahoma and then the Sugar Bowl against Ohio State and both those games, you're getting 40 plus put up on you in those big time moments. Kirby had enough humility to know that he had to change, right? His defense had to change to keep up with what I, I mean, what I think is pretty clear now is the offensive spread revolution, right? We can call it that. We can call it that. It was an offensive spread revolution, that's what's been going on over the past decade or so. And it's still kind of going on right now. And, and that's what I want to focus on today. I, I can't sit here and cover every single little adjustment Kirby Smart has made over the years on this one episode. We don't have time for that. And, and honestly, I, I'll be real with you. I don't know every little adjustment that he's made with our defense. I don't, I don't know that. But I've studied a couple of the important ones that he's made over the years to kind of combat this offensive spread revolution. And I want to start sharing some of those with you guys today. Again, not going to do all of them in the same episode. We're going to do one at a time here over the next couple of weeks. And some of these I've already exposed you to a little bit earlier in this in the series, earlier this month. And we'll get into more detail on them over the next couple of weeks. But I think the best place to start with this first episode of this series within the Scheme Month series the best place to start is with the mint front. And this is one of those things that I did mention, I think on our first episode of the Scheme Theme Month, but I did not go into much detail. I, I, I kind of put it out there as one of the reasons why we've been so successful in defending the run over the past couple of years, so dominant across the, in, in, across the college football landscape. We've been as dominant as any defense in America in stopping the run. And the mint front is a part of that. So I didn't mention on that episode, but I didn't really go into a lot of detail. I want to I go into more detail today because this has become one of the primary fronts that we use, especially on standard downs against teams that really try to spread you out. It's certainly not the only front that we use. You can't only use one front. You can't use one of anything, whether it's one coverage, one front, one pressure. You can't only use one of anything these days because offenses are 
they're too advanced, right? They're too complex and they'll have an answer for that. So you have to keep them guessing. You have to keep them off balance. But this is a front, the mint front. Yes, M-I-N-T, like a breath mint. This is one that we use a lot, especially against spread to run teams like, oh, I don't know, Oklahoma and Auburn in the past, just two that come to mind. And, and the way I want to do with this series, with this series, focusing on Kirby Smart's kind of macro level defensive adjustments, is to first identify the catalyst for the change, like what happened to open Kirby's eyes to the need for change. Then we'll look at the, the adjustment itself and the results that adjustment have yielded. So to start us off today, talking about the mint front, I, 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 I will look at the catalyst, like why did Kirby decide that he needed to change up the way that he was structuring his odd fronts. Okay, when I say odd front, I'm talking about three defensive, three down defensive linemen. When I say even front, I'm talking about four defensive linemen with their hands down in the dirt along your defensive line. Okay, so that's odd, three, even, four, right? Pretty simple. So I'm going to take us back to the 2015 Sugar Bowl when Ohio State just flat out torched Alabama in the playoffs semifinals. You guys remember that game, right? The Buckeyes put up over 500 yards. I think it was 537 of total offense, uh, 281 yards, rushing 42 points in all. And they did that with a back and quarterback. They did that with Cardell Jones, if you remember that, right? This is the game where Ezekiel Elliott became a true household name. Like people knew who he was. If you follow college football, you knew who he was before this game. Ohio State was really good. But he became like a true, legit household name when he just went off in Alabama. He went for 230 yards on the ground in that game. And this wasn't supposed to happen to Alabama. Not in moments like this, right? Sure, like we, they can lose games. We've seen them lose games before. They just lost to Oklahoma the year before in the, uh, in, in the same Sugar Bowl. But giving up 281 yards on the ground on this stage, I mean, that was eye-opening. And it was humiliating for Kirby Smart and the rest of his defensive staff. And Kirby, again, it's a competitive dude. He was not about to let that happen again. So what did he do? Well, he responded to the change in offensive football. He did not arrogantly sit back and say, like a lot of those old-timer coaches would have said, well, you know, that, that, that was a fluky gimmick offense. You know, that, that won't happen again. They, they didn't really run it down our throats. They, they, they just used some gimmicks. He didn't do that. No, he went to work figuring out first what happened and then configuring a solution to address the issue. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. And the thing was, it wasn't just the Ohio State game that year. That was kind of the icing on the cake, right? Like that was just the thing that kind of just really emphasizes to everyone. Because go back to the beginning of that year, West Virginia had far more success against Alabama in the opener than people expected, than anyone expected. And then they went on, they lost at Ole Miss that season, right, with Hugh Freeze. Auburn put up over 600 yards on them offensively. And through that year, Kirby identified two major issues that Alabama's defense was facing. And I'm trying to simplify here, guys. Again, I'm trying to keep this as simple as I can for you while also giving the information that I think you guys need to have. I don't want this to be trigonometry today. We'll settle for, uh, I don't know, let's call it algebra two. We'll, we'll settle for that. So we identified two problems throughout that season. And they really, really were exposed against Ohio State in the playoffs and finals. But he had seen this kind of pop up throughout there. You kind of, if you really pay attention, you kind of maybe saw this coming as a better team with, that more, with more talent like Ohio State. And the first problem was the body types that Alabama's defense had on the field. 
the simple reality was Kirby's defenses could not play those odd three down linemen fronts against spread teams because this made them far too predictable for those kind of offenses. Offenses as advanced as Ohio State's with Tom, Tom Herman as their offensive coordinator. That's where Tom Herman made his name, right? He's, he was the offensive coordinator under Urban Meyer at Ohio State. They go on to win a national title. He parlays that into the job at Houston. Then he parlays that job in Texas. And then we all know what happened there. And, and here's why we, that, this is why Kirby's defense at Alabama, I don't want to say we, because it wasn't we yet. Eventually it would become us. It's going to become us, but not, not that time. Uh, but when offenses used heavy personnel, and I'm talking about Heavy personnel, I'm saying 21 personnel with two running backs, one tight end, two receivers. 22 personnel with two uh, two running backs, two tight ends, one receiver. 13 personnel with one running back, three tight ends. When Those are heavy personnel. Offenses are more likely to run the ball with those personnel groups in the yard to throw the ball. So when offenses use heavy personnel, Kirby's defenses out of them were primarily playing odd fronts with three defensive linemen, which was their base defense. We have three down linemen, you have two outside linebackers and two inside linebackers. That's the old school traditional 3-4 base defense. But when offenses use personnel groupings more commonly associated with spread offense, like 11 personnel with one running back, one tight end, three receivers, or 20 personnel with two running backs, no tight ends, three receivers, or 10 personnel with uh, one running back, no tight ends, and four receivers, those kind of personnel groupings, Kirby's defense would use even fronts, which was their nickel package. And they would use those even fronts. That was their way to try to match up with the speed that those spread offenses are going on the field, they were trying to match that up with more speed of their own. They were essentially taking a defensive lineman or an outside linebacker off the field and replacing that person with a defensive back, okay? And most offensive coordinators, they don't prefer to face odd fronts. That's one of the reasons the 3-4 defense has become more popular over the past 10, 20 years or so. It's because offensive coordinators don't really want to face odd fronts. Um, The reason for that is they're just a little bit more versatile than your standard down uh, your standard four-man front, like a four-three front, because in a four-three, if you have four, D, let's say you're rushing four guys on in, on your standard play, you're you're bringing four guys, you're rushing four guys, or dedicating four guys on the line to the rush, right, to defend the rush. Well, they know if you have four guys on the line, four down linemen, the offense knows where those rush defenders are. They know where they're going to be in even fronts, and just like in war, I hate to equate. A sport to war, but like if you know where the enemy is, you're gonna have a lot easier time killing the enemy, defeating the enemy, right? If you know where they're going to be, that makes it a lot easier for you. An odd front brings a little bit more of deception into the equation where they don't know where every person's gonna be coming from. You get more depth in your demons. We'll talk more about that in a little bit later on in the show. So, what did offensive coordinators do? If they don't want to face odd fronts and they know that Kirby Smart's defense is Alabama, they were using their odd fronts when the offense would use heavy personnel and they were using easy even fronts when the offense was using kind of your spread personnel, your more typical passing game personnel. So what would offense coordinators do if they don't want to face odd fronts? Well, they would just dictate the front that Kirby's defenses would play by consistently spreading them out in 11, 20, 10 personnel groupings, which is when Kirby's defenses were going with even fronts about 90% of the time. So basically the problem was Kirby Smart and his defense, they could not run their nickel defense with odd fronts against those spread teams. And that was a problem because they they became incredibly predictable, which is going to make it much easier on the offense to scheme up ways to attack you. Again, if they know what you're going to be in, they know where your guys are going to be, it's much easier to scheme up a way to attack you. So you might be asking, well, okay, well, if the problem was they weren't really running their odd fronts in their nickel package against that spread personnel grouping, why didn't they just call more odd fronts against the, those kind of groupings when they were in 11 personnel or 20 personnel or 10 personnel? And isn't that the easy answer? Just call more odd fronts. Aren't you the play caller? Can't you just call what you want to call in the situations? And I get where you're coming from there if that's what you're thinking, but here's why it's not that simple. It had to do with the structure of how Alabama was running their odd front, how Kirby was running the Alabama's odd front at that time. What they had at that time when they were in their odd front most of the time is they had a zero tech nose guard, which is right head up on the center. And that guy was 100% a big two-gapping nose guard who controlled both A-gaps. Think Terrence Cody, Mount Cody back in the day. And then they had two other defensive linemen that played five techniques, which means they were on the outside shoulder of the tackle, okay? 
Now, think about this. All right, so we've got, I know we don't have the visual here, but try to just visualize this with me here. We have a nose guard that's head up on the center. Then you have two defensive linemen that are on the outside shoulder of each tackle. So which of the offensive linemen are uncovered in that scenario? You've got the center covered by the nose guard. You've got the tackles covered by the two defensive linemen. So that means it's the two guards that are essentially uncovered by the defensive line. And therefore, if they're uncovered, that means they're free to block someone else. Well, who else is there in the box for them to block? You guessed right. It's the inside linebackers. So Kirby's inside linebackers at Alabama had to be huge themselves because they were taking on and engaging those uncovered guards basically every single snap in the box. And 220, 225 pound inside linebackers simply cannot do that. They cannot do that snap in, snap out, play in, play out. They're not big enough to hold up in that sort of front alignment. So that's why for years, Kirby Smart and Alabama, just think back to that run of, of linebackers they had with Rolando McClain, Thonta Hightower, those kind of guys. I mean, Hightower is 260, 265 pounds because that's the kind of inside linebacker they had to have back then to be able to consistently hold up against those guards who were coming to block them every single snap. Those guys just had to be that big to hold up. They had to. But those big inside linebackers that they had to play with in their odd fronts, like Donta Hightower at 265, well, yeah, they're really good against the run in those odd fronts, but they could not handle playing in space against spread offenses that wanted to attack the perimeter and get speedy athletes in space, like Ohio State did in that semifinal game in the Sugar Bowl, like Ole Miss did under Hugh Freeze. I mean, it was two years in a row Ole Miss beat them. That was one of the, one of the reasons why. Uh, like A&M did, but it was back in 2012 with Johnny Menzel. Something had to change. Kirby had to figure out a personnel answer to these spread offenses. So that's problem number one, all right? Problem number two, and this is another reason that they had issues using odd fronts against spread teams, was that they paired their odd fronts with a field boundary call for the outside linebacker and star. In terms of like, where does the star line up? They used a field boundary call. So in the rare instances where they tried to use a three down, an odd front with, with their nickel package with a star on the field, they would use that with a field boundary call. And what that means, okay, who's lining to the field, which is where there's more open space? Who's lining to the boundary, which is where it's more of a narrow space closer to the, the out-of-bounds boundary, right? So the nickel was playing to the field. They would always have their nickel lined up to the field, and the idea behind that was there was more grass to the field. Therefore, that's where they figured the offenses would attack. There's just, if offenses want to attack space, well, there's just more space out to the field, all that open grass out there. So yeah, let's it just makes sense, at least on some level, to put the star, your extra DB that you're bringing in to expressly to defend against the pass, put him out there where all that space is. But some of those spread offensive masterminds like Hugh Freeze and Gus Malzahn back in the day, not so much Gus Malzahn now, but back in the day when his offense was kind of new, and guys like Lincoln Riley, they started to get smart to that. They realized what Kirby was doing, right? And that's way too predictable for those kind of offensive minds. Again, you're telling me that I'm going to know where you're always going to align that extra DB. I know I know that you're always going to align the extra DB to the field no matter where my wide receivers are. Okay, sure, cool. They ain't let me know. Game over. And what those offensive guys began to do was to put their passing formation, and when I say passing formation, it's like the majority of their receivers into the boundary. Not all the time, but enough of the time. And when I say into the boundary, I'm talking about if the ball is on the right hash, they are setting like most of their receivers to that right boundary outside the right hash. All the receivers are mashed up tight in there. So now you might have an offense that's put trips to the boundary, three wide receivers into the boundary, and then one wide receiver to the field and you've got your nickel defender who was specifically, again, remember, he was specifically brought into the game to help defend the pass. He's sitting there almost aimlessly defending no one. He's just standing in open, vacant space, vacant grass. No one's out there. The receiver's on the other side of the field. And what does this mean on the other side? So if the star is on the side of the field where the receivers aren't really located, who's on the other side? 
Well, that means on the other side, in the boundary, the offense is able to dictate extremely favorable matchups. They can get their wide receivers mashed up on inside linebackers like Donta Hightower at 260 or so running up the seam. And there's no way they're going to be able to stick with those guys. There's no way. That is a recipe for explosive plays. And Kirby's his defense started to give up far too many explosive plays against these spread offenses like Ole Miss, like Auburn, like Ohio State, like Oklahoma. So it was these twin issues that were bedeviling Kirby Smart and his defensive staff. Again, they knew something had to change. They had to find an answer. They had to find a way to be able to both play odd fronts against spread offenses and restrict offenses from dictating favorable matchups in the passing game. Easier said than done. So they went to work. They studied. They tried to figure out, okay, we've identified the problem, but what can we do to address the problem? You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. And the solution, the answer became the mint front. And the name, well, you might be wondering why in the world they call it the mint front. Well, it's really the first two letters that matter. The M in mint stands for matchup. The I stands for inside technique. And the N and T are kind of just thrown in there to go along with the M and the I to make it just one simple word, right? And the matchup means you're trying to create the, you're, you're trying to not allow offenses to get the favorable matchups they want against inside linebackers in space. They don't, you don't want them to be able to get that in the passing game. So you're going to match up where the offense is putting their receivers with your DBs. Like you're, you're, you're not going to let your star defender just sit out there in space defending no one. And the I stands for inside technique. So now instead of having your defensive tackles play on the outside shoulder of the tackle, they're going to play an inside technique on the inside shoulder of the tackle, which is, and this is, look guys, the mint front, this is something that Kirby kind of devised back in 2015, 2016, but it's still the primary odd front that we use today in our nickel package. And that's one of the reasons I want to talk about because we still use this a lot today. But let's go back to our problems. I said there was two problems. There were twin problems that Kirby's having to deal with with trying to use his odd fronts in these nickel packages against these spread offense. Let's start with problem one, right? So remember, the issue was with problem number one that Kirby could not play his three down odd fronts with our nickel package because of the way that he was aligning the defensive linemen because that the way the defensive linemen were, were aligned required the inside linebackers to take on guards that were left uncovered. So again, that means that the inside linebackers had to be big, strong dudes to be able to take on those guards in between the tackles, play in, play out. But that, of course, left them vulnerable. If you have these big 260-pound inside linebackers, well, that leaves them vulnerable to spread offenses who deploy crazy athletes in space, like Ohio State did, like Oklahoma did, like Auburn did, like Ole Miss did. So Kirby knew with problem number one, he had to change the personnel. He knew that was the solution. He had to change the personnel. But it, Again, that's easier said than done. How do you do that? How do you get more athletic and inside linebacker so those guys can play in space and defend sideline to sideline against a team like Ohio State that has athletes like Ezekiel Elliott, those kind of guys? How do you do that, though, if those guys can't take on the guards? Yeah, like he, he understood, yeah, I need faster guys. I need smaller, quicker, more athletic inside linebackers. I can't go with these 260-pound guys anymore inside linebacker. But how do I do that if the smaller guys can't take on the guards? Well, the answer simply is you change the alignment of the defensive line in your odd front. Now, that may seem simple to us now, but at the time, that, that, that was a little bit of a leap. They had to change the way they were aligning. If you want to use a, a three-down odd front, well, you just got to change how those three-down linemen are aligned in that odd front. That's what you have to change. 
So rather than playing with a zero-tech nose guard head up on the center and two five-tech defensive linemen that are on the outside shoulder of each tackle, thereby, again, leaving the guards completely uncovered to go take on the inside linebackers, what you do is you slide those defensive linemen down to what we call four eyes. A four eye is the inside shoulder of the tackle. So the five technique is the outside shoulder of the tackle, four is head up on the tackle, four eye is going to be on the inside shoulder of the tackle. All right. And that puts those defensive tackles directly in the B gap. So you still have a zero tech nose guard like Jordan Davis, who is most of the time going to be two gapping in these odd fronts. He's got the A gaps. And then now you slide down your defensive lineman, you slide down, let's say, Jalen Carter and Devontae Wyatt into four eyes on the inside shoulder of the tackles as opposed to their outside shoulder. Now, what this did and, and what it still does today, because we, again, still use this a lot today, what it does is it absolves the inside linebacker of the responsibility to play that B gap, okay? And also, your guards who were before this, before you went to the mid front in Kirby's odd fronts, Alabama, they used to be uncovered. Now they're not exactly uncovered. They're not completely covered, but you kind of have this defensive tackle that's kind of right there in that B gap between the tackle and the guards. The guard is going to at least have to chip. He's got some responsibility, depending on what the tackle does, the snap, he might have some responsibility for that tackle. So if you have a good nose guard, well, now teams can't run the A gap. If you have a Jordan Davis, who's just an immovable object, he can two-gap and take up both A-gaps on either side of the center. Now, if you have a good defensive tackle, then they can't run the B-gaps. So now your inside linebackers are free. There's no guard just coming at them every single snap that, they, that they've got to take on. Now you can play with those smaller, quicker, more athletic inside linebackers who are now also free to scrape over the top and run sideline to sidelines. The idea behind the mid front is basically you're clogging up those interior gaps. You're clogging up the A gap. You're clogging up the B gap. The A gap is taken up by your, your zero tech nose guard. The defensive tackles in those four eyes are taking up the B gaps. And so now you're kind of spilling all the run plays. You're spilling them to the perimeter. And then that's where your inside linebackers, those now smaller, quicker, speedier inside linebackers, they're going to clean up all that mess that's kind of spilled the outside by just scraping over the top and making those plays running silent to sideline. And this is how you make an All-American and a first-round pick out of Roquan Smith. Like Roquan, think about this, guys. Roquan could have never played for Kirby Smart. He could have never played inside linebacker for Kirby Smart prior to the 2015-2016 season. He couldn't have because the defensive structure would not have allowed it. They weren't using the mint front. They weren't using that. They still had their tackles out there, their defensive tackles out there on uh, in five techniques on the outside shoulder of the, of the offensive tackle. So they, they were having to take on guards every single snap. Roquan could not have done that. That's not Ro what Roquan was built to do. But once Kirby made the adjustment to move to the mint front and free up those inside linebackers, a guy like Roquan was allowed to absolutely thrive and become a guy that was, in my opinion, should have been a legit Heisman Trophy candidate. And it was because of the scheme that Kirby put him in, that structure that Kirby put him in. And I'm going to add one more element to this before we move on to problem number two, all right? Now, another, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, another reason the mint front is so effective for us is that it gives us depth in our defense. Now, what in the world do I mean when I say depth in our defense? What that means, depth means that we have more guys that are standing up and removed from the line of scrimmage. There's always going to be a fourth rusher with our mint defense. We're not, even though we're an odd front, we're not only bringing three guys, okay? We, we have at least, when I say fourth rusher, it's a guy that can be rushing the passer or a guy that's, that's got a primary run fit responsibility. There's always going to be a fourth guy. But when you play odd fronts, it's much, and this goes to how Kirby wanted to become less predictable. When you play odd fronts, it's much more difficult for the offense to know where that fourth rusher is going to be coming from. It could be the outside linebacker and on one play, sure. And the next play could be the inside linebacker. On the next play could be the star. On the next play could be a safety who's rolled down. There's more variety in what we can do with that fourth rusher. It makes it much less predictable for the offense and much more difficult for them to scheme for. So I just want to throw that little tidbit out there because that's also another important aspect to why the mint front works. Okay, so we got the first problem solved, that personnel problem. Kirby solved that, right? But that still left problem number two. Okay, so now we have the right kind of guys on the field, the right personnel on the field. But Kirby was playing his odd fronts. Again, going back to what we said earlier in problem number two, he was playing his odd fronts before this, before the mint 
defense. He was playing it with a field boundary call, with the star always aligned to the field if we were in an odd front and nickel package. And again, offense has got smart to this. They began playing formation to the boundary, thereby creating some serious matchup advantages for them against those big, slower inside linebackers. So what's the solution to this problem, all right? Well, remember, the mint front is an odd front that we use in our nickel defense. Well, the answer is pretty simple. Just play the star to the passing strength when we are in our mint front. So what I mean by passing strength, okay? Passing strength is where are there more receivers lined? So if there is a trips formation with three receivers to one side, one receiver the opposite side, well, passing strength would be to the side where the trips are, where there's more receivers, okay? Now, sometimes you might have a situation where you've got You've got twins on either side. You've got two receivers on the left, two receivers on the right. Well, how do you determine passing strength there? Well, okay, well, then you look at where is the tight end aligned if there's a tight end in the formation. If there's not a tight end, where's the running back aligned, all right? That's how you determine passing strength. So that's what Kirby decided to do here. Wherever the passing strength was, that's where the star was going to go. So if the offense put the formation in the boundary like they were doing to create those matchup advantages, well, the star is now going to be lined over there rather than just sitting in empty space in the field because he was just told every single snap he lines the field no matter what. Well, now we have more flexibility. We're trying to, again, this is the matchup. Mint, the M stands for matchup. This is the matchup part. We wanted to match up where the offense is putting their receivers. We're going to match that up by putting our extra DB, our nickel, over there where all those receivers are. It's just common sense, right? And then once we put the star over there where the passing strength is, we always put the jack or our outside linebacker, that one outside linebacker on the field in our, in our odd front, we're going to always put the jack opposite the star. And another reason this is so effective for us is it makes it easier to play against tempo teams. It's one of the big innovations over the past decade or so with all these spread offenses. It's not just they spread you out, but now they're spreading you out and running with tempo as well. And that was really tough for defenses to adjust to because they used to go look to the side of the, you know, look to the sideline, try to get the call, and then try to get lined up. And before they get lined up, the offense snaps the ball, and there's just chaos. And offenses make big plays, they're supposed to play because defenses have bust, right? Well, if we, if our personnel always knows, if our, if our star always knows, he lines, he aligns to the passing strength, and the jack always knows that he aligns wherever the star isn't, it's much easier if you get lined up. All you got to do if you're the star is, okay, where are the more receivers lined up? I'm going to that side. If you're the jack, you just basically say, okay, where the star goes, I'm going to the other side. So it's really simple. You look for passing strength, and then you line up. It makes it easier to play against those up-tempo teams. You don't always have to just be looking the sideline trying to get those calls. So that's the way that the mint front helps us match up against these spread offenses. Now, like every front, every coverage, every scheme, whatever, there is a weakness. They all have them. There's no perfect coverage. There's no perfect front. There's no perfect scheme. There's always a weakness. They all have got them. Every front, every coverage is designed to take away or combat something an offense does, but they all have weaknesses. And the mint front is no different, all right? Like I said earlier, the mint front's not an every down front. We don't run anything every single down, but we still do run a lot. And the big difference of the mint front is the lack of a pass rush that it generates. Kirby will flat out tell you that when we are in our mint front, I've heard him say this, when we're in our mint front, we are we are just simply not trying to rush the quarterback. We're just not. That's not what that front is built to do. And this front, like we only have one outside linebacker on the field. We have a nose guard and we have two defensive linemen and you got an outside linebacker, right? And that outside linebacker might not even be the fourth rusher on any given snap. He might be dropping into coverage, might be inside linebacker that's coming, might be a star, might be a safety, could be anybody else that, that could be that fourth rusher. It might not be the outside linebacker who's traditionally your best pass rusher on the field. And those three defensive linemen, they aren't even really trying to rush the passer in the mint front. Their purpose, their goal, what they're told and coached to do is to is to demolish those gaps. Demolish the A gap if you're the nose guard, take away the B gap if you're the demons to tackle in those four eyes. And so it just doesn't create a lot of natural one-on-one pass rush opportunities. And given that we use this front a lot against teams that really try to spread you out, it's one of the reasons that we just don't rush the passer and create as much havoc as a lot of fans would like us to do, especially on those early kind of standard down situations. I mean, if you've ever wondered why we have all these great pass rushers, right? Like we've had, going back to Leonard Floyd, Lorenzo Carter, DeAndre Walker, Aziz Ojolari, Adam Anderson. 
I shouldn't even, I shouldn't use Leonard Floyd. I guess he wasn't really a Kirby guy. But Lorenzo, DeAndre Walker, Aziz, Adam Anderson, all these guys. If you ever want to wonder why, man, we have all these outside linebackers, these guys that are supposed to be great pass rushers, but why are we still so average in our pass rush and in our havoc numbers? Like, what's the deal there? Like, what's going on? Are we just not developing those players? No, it has nothing to do with development. No. If we let those guys, if we got them unleashing to rush the passer, they could get after the passer. But it's the mint front, guys. The mint front is a big reason why we don't rush the passer as well as a lot of you would like us to on those early standard downs because it just isn't a front that's designed to do that. This is a calculated philosophical choice by Kirby and our defensive coaching staff. That's what it is. The goal, quite simply, is to just play the percentages and be stout against the run. Most teams, they run the ball more. They're more run heavy on first down. Depending on what the down and distance is on, or what the distance is on second down, they can be more run heavy on second down. So the goal is to play those percentages and be stout against the run on those early standard downs to then get the offense to third and long. That's the goal, right? Get the offense to third and long. And that's when we come with our simulated pressures. You've seen this, guys, where you like on third and long, we have all these, these speed rushers on the field and they're all kind of standing up. You don't know who's coming. That and like at snap, some of them come, some of them drop, and the offenses don't know what's going on. It just looks like chaos out there, right? That's when we unleash the dogs and create havoc when we get them to third and long. But you got to get them to third and long before you can do that. That's the idea. That's the philosophy. You might not agree with that approach, and that's totally cool. But that's the approach that our coaches subscribe to, that Kirby Smart subscribes to. That that's just the fact. It is. It is. And by and large, like honestly, like I, I I'm with you guys at times. Like I do get frustrated. I see all those other teams out there just like you know making life miserable for quarterbacks, and I would love for us to do that. But you also look at some of those teams that do that, like Clemson, for instance. They also can get gashed by explosive plays because they put more of an emphasis on getting after the passer, but that also leaves them vulnerable to kind of some of those explosive big plays. So it, it's just a matter of philosophy. And by and large, this philosophy, this approach, whether you agree with it or not, has helped us be as good defensively over the last couple of years as anyone in the United States of America. I mean, those are just the facts. Look at the numbers. I mean, it, the numbers tell the story. So that's the mint front. I'm not going to sit here and tell you Kirby invented it. He didn't. Kirby did not invent the mint front. It's really what, what the mint front is. It's Kirby's take on the tight front. But what he did is he identified a deficiency. And then he studied the issue. He, he realized, okay, we got a problem here, right? We're having a lot of issues with these spread offenses that are that are running to the perimeter, spitting the ball out in space. We're having issues with that. So he knows that's the, the deficiency. That's the problem. Well, then he studied the problem. And then he put his own spin on existing ideas to develop a solution. The tight front had kind of been around for a couple years, so he took that idea and put his own spin on it. It might not be invention, but it's innovation, and it's what every good coach does. I mean, honestly, guys, like there's no, like you hear about these all these offensive masterminds, they come up with their own schemes. No, not really. Like there's no such thing as a, as a brand new offensive scheme or defensive scheme. Like there's twist, and, and you can put your own little spin on things, but like no one has like a brand new offense or defensive scheme. Good coaches, what they do is they build on previously existing ideas and they advance those ideas. Sure. They innovate. They don't really invent. They innovate. They grow. They address deficiencies and they, and they identify new ways to attack the opponent. Again, they innovate. And that's exactly what Kirby Smart has done with the mint front. And it's one of the reasons we are so successful defending the spread to run game after, I mean, to be honest, again, he had his fair share of issues in the, in the early 2000s, mid-2010s, you know, against teams like Oklahoma and Iowa State and Auburn and Ole Miss, those kind of teams. But think about it, guys. We haven't really had those kind of issues against those kind of, even teams that have these dual-threat quarterbacks because Kirby went to work. He understood there was a problem, and he figured out a solution. He adjusted. He adapted to the game, and adaptability is the name of the game, guys. That's what it is. So, when you're watching Georgia football games here in a couple of months, man, can't get here quick enough, but a couple of months, when you're watching these games here, see if you can identify when we are in our mint front. I'll give you a couple of things to look for. First, look to see if there's a nickel back on the field. That should be the first thing you look for, right? Which about 65 to 70% of the time, there's going to be a nickel back on the field. Then if you see that on the field, if you see a nickel out there, a fifth DB, then look to the defensive line to see how many true defensive linemen that we have in the game. So if you see a, a setup where we have like Jordan Davis uh, head up on the center, then you got Devontae White and Jalen Carter in the game. 
something like that, set up like that. And the two demons linemen, Wyatt and, and Carter, they're on the inside shoulder of the, of the offensive tackle. Well, that's our mint front. And you, should, and you should also see one other way to tell. You should also see an outside linebacker, one outside linebacker. This year, probably it'll be either Nolan Smith or Adam Anderson. One of them should be standing up on the edge. And then watch how those defense linemen blow up the A and the B gaps and leave our inside linebackers free. Leave N'Kobe Dean and Quay Walker, leave those guys free to run around sideline to sideline and make plays. Try to spill those plays to the outside and let those inside linebackers clean up and make those plays. All right, guys. Well, there is the first of three defensive adjustments that Kirby Smart has made over the years that we're going to focus on over the next week or so. We're also going to take a look at some of the things that we have done in the red zone. Because if you remember back to a couple years ago, we were really bad in the red zone, one of the worst teams in the country in the red zone. And we've made significant strides in that area of the past couple years. And that doesn't happen by accident. We've made some adjustments. So we'll explore that later on next week. And we'll also take a closer look at a technique that Kirby calls middle of the field cheat. We talked about that a little bit on the first episode, but I want to go into more detail with that as well. So hopefully now you have a little bit of a better idea of why I've always defended Kirby Smart as a very, very good coach, not just a great recruiter, which he certainly is, but a guy that absolutely, his name should be mentioned in conversations of best coaches in America. I just, I've always felt like Kirby kind of gets the short shaft there and uh, doesn't really get the respect he deserves. I'm talking about best coaches. People respect him as a recruiter, and they just think that he kind of his defense is kind of out-talent people. Sure, we have more talent than most teams. Sure, but a lot of teams have talent. But Kirby Smart has also made a lot of very, very important adjustments over the years to combat this offensive spread revolution, and the mint front is just the tip of the iceberg. We'll go into more detail later on next week, but I just want, before we get out of here, just want to let you guys know, I hope you have an awesome Memorial Day weekend. Have fun, stay safe, enjoy the family, and uh, we'll be back next week. I'll probably have one of these episodes up for you on Memorial Day, if not Memorial Day morning. It'll be Memorial Day night. I'll probably have one up at least by Monday for you guys. I have to go out of town a little bit myself, so hopefully I'll be back in time to have that up for you guys on Monday. But have a great weekend, guys. Hope everyone has fun. Stay safe. We will be back next week. I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>